hunting you down <laughs> for, what, like two years now, something like that? Yeah, and I'm always like, yo, great, yeah, I'll be, I'll be done in a week, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I'll email you back. Yeah. Um, I caught you, though. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, yeah. This was, I, 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 how long has it been in this location for? The Zine Fest? Yeah. Um, this was its second year there, and before that it was at a bar in Williamsburg, I think, that yeah, the, the National, maybe? I can't remember the name. Is that the Pete's Candy Store? Is it the same one? No, no that's, that's a, a different, different one. Fest. Pete's okay. Candy Store is um, yeah. a very little Zine yeah, Festival, yeah, okay. like very, you know, friendly. Uh, this is friendly, too, but yeah. this is a big organized gorilla, and that yeah. one is more like a bunch of people hanging out in the garden. I had only been, I hadn't been to this one for whatever reason. <laughs> it was finally showed up on my radar this year. And I'd been to the, uh, the the one at Pete's before and was sort of concerned about the state of zines in New York City. That, that uh, this was, I thought that that was going to be it. All the people that were doing zines. No, I think uh, that's just as many people as they can fit into yeah, Pete's. Yeah, yeah, Okay, <laughs> that's good news. I, I'm always a little bit worried. I'm always a little bit worried about the state of state of zines. Um, they're around. They seem to be floating around. I, I, you know, I'm from I'm from California originally. Um, there always seemed to be a big one out there. You know, in the East Bay. Right. Uh, I think Etsy has contributed to oh. a health and resurgence oh, of a certain kind of zine. Yeah, the yeah. ones that are very beautiful, like yeah. you know, little objects that you want to hold in your hands. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes. I mean, that, that's I've I've seen that a lot too in 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 print. You know, I interview a lot of uh, cartoonists and. There's always been this really big push to, over the last you know five ten years, to make books as beautiful as possible and as um, unique of objects as possible. I, I had uh, Art Spiegelman on the show. We talked about this oh. a little bit. Um, uh, you know, of just you know, like how how are you gonna how, how are you gonna convince people to actually go out and buy a physical object versus just reading it on your tablet? Right. And, and how do you want to hold on to it? I mean, I'm facing. Yeah potentially moving from the place where I've lived for 15 yeah. years. And I look at the, our book lined walls and my husband's like, Oh, well, I love having our books, yeah. but I think most of them like hey, pull one off the shelf and you're going to get years of dust yeah. coming down on you. Maybe it would be better to yeah. release it. Let somebody else have the fun yeah. of reading it. Yeah. I went through that. I went, I, I moved uh, back in October and this was this, that was a move where I finally got rid of my, my CDs. Oh, I haven't done that yet. It was a big one. My CD player is broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still have my computer, CDs. right? I mean, yeah, theoretically, I right. guess. But it doesn't have a disk drive. But <laughs> yeah, the books can't, I, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. Well, the, the ones that I will save will be the graphic novels and then mm. anything that is like, you know, maybe purchased in a English language secondhand store in Thailand or something yeah. that has the rubber stamp marks of all the other used bookstores yeah. that travelers had brought it from and then sold it back and bought a new one and sold it back. And so those have value to me as just objects. Yeah. I've been trying, I've been trying to, I was try- trying to figure out why I keep all of these books, you know, it's sort of, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't go back and read them. Is it really. Yeah. Well, it's a way of it's showing to, to a guest. Like they well, that's come what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't even... I'm living this is in, a, I in Queens and I haven't made people over. <laughs> but it's just for the rare occasion that somebody comes over, I can sort of show them. Well, maybe if you sublet. You know, I always I think... guess. <laughs> if I Airbnb, I can. Yeah, that's yeah. part of our draw, draw when we sublet. Yeah. Like our floors creak and the apartment's pretty well beat. But yeah. look at the books. Hey. Is, that, is that true? Do you highlight that in your... Oh, I always do. I say graphic novel yeah. stuffed apartment on a beautiful, shady neighborhood block. yeah. yeah. So you're in, uh, you're, as, as we as we said during the show, the the um, 
the, the, the name of your zine is now sort of a misnomer, and I guess it has been for, for some time now. Yes, starting with issue seven, I lived in Brooklyn okay. instead of the East Village, and the zine is the East Village Inky, yeah. but I was loath to leave it, and... Um, wanted it to be known that like you know my heart was still in the east village i was still going to be the same kind of person and um and then you know i had another kid so they were like are you going to call it the east village inky and milo yeah. or you could call it the brooklyn milo and i was like no yeah. that sucks yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that i just never changed the name was and it? i still get people saying so you live in the east village yeah. and I'm like what I, would possibly give you that impression i assumed <laughs> i assumed as such i mean yeah, I think yeah. that's a legitimate thing to assume. Was it was it uh, was it having a kid that brought you out to Brooklyn? No, it was having a second kid. Mm. I, we lived in a three hundred and forty square foot apartment yeah. on East Ninth Street, and it just felt perilously close to we're going to be stuck there forever. And you know, I guess thank goodness that our rent was pretty high compared yeah. to the other people in the building if we had known enough if a neighbor had just said to us say hey, you know you might want to see what the last guy was paying and you have 90 days to file yeah. and see if you can get your rent reduced then we would have been there forever probably yeah. because we would have been paying four hundred dollars a month for that apartment but uh we didn't so we yeah we moved out to Borum Hill like I, I have no idea why our landlady rented to us we didn't tell her that I had a second child on the way yeah. that might have been a surprise and now we live on the top floor of a brownstone with one closet every floorboard squeaks um yeah you, it's just, like, you just wrote zinester at the top of your submission and she was like <laughs> yeah please 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 move to uh, yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll definitely be paying all your rent checks on yeah time. she's a lawyer I think maybe yeah. she wanted to surround herself with bohemian artists <laughs> She got what she yeah. paid for. <laughs> yeah. How did the how did the how did the zine start? I mean, was it um, th- did it start as soon as you moved out to New York? No, um, the zine started. I used to uh, be a late night, low budget actress, mm-hmm. and it was a huge part of my identity. I was part of this company called the Neo Futurists, and we had a hit late night show called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind that's oh, still running yeah, in Chicago yeah. and uh, was, with uh, different people here in New York. KGB yep. bar, yeah. Right. Um, so Greg, my husband, that's how I met him. Um, and he and I moved to New York from Chicago, sort of feeling like, you know, we wanted to try something new. We yeah. were happy and successful doing the show in Chicago, but we wanted to push past. So we came out here. You wanted to go somewhere and be uh, successful <laughs> yeah. there for a little while. Right. And at the last minute, we freaked out thinking um, the, our only context for knowing each other is as ensemble members yeah. of this show. Like, what if we have nothing in common if we stop doing it? So we um, f- drafted two young men to move with us and found another woman who's a close friend who had preceded us to New York, who was also a neo-futurist. And we ran the show for a couple of years on the Lower East Side. You you brought an entire acting troupe with you. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we we splintered. We yeah. were a splinter group, um, and uh, and then I was pregnant and um, gave birth to the baby. And then everybody sort of was like, "Well, I want to go pursue my career, commercial career." And I was like, "I'm I've got a baby." Yeah. And I was thinking the baby would lay quietly in a little basket backstage while I did this hour long <laughs> show and that didn't work out and Greg was able to keep doing theater and I wasn't and I was really hitting like kind of a mental situation yeah. um, stir crazy yeah or just like you know deep loss of identity that it yeah. was like it used to be very easy to tell people like 
What do you do? Oh, I do this show. I write sort and perform that, like, 30 plays mom, in 60 minutes. That mom might be your identity. Yeah, I, and yeah. I didn't want that. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was delighted to be a mother. I love my baby. I you know, had a deep animal response to motherhood, <laughs> but I also had long periods of boredom, and I didn't... You know, there's a way that mothers are treated in the media and just, you know, by, I guess, like working people, businessmen or whatever, that it's like, oh, mom, to be called mom in a hospital. It's it's like my name's right there on the chart. Like, call me Anne. This is it now. This is my name now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. yeah. So it was really doing a number on me and I needed to find an outlet that I could accomplish in the company of a baby and that would reach an audience of people who weren't my friends. I mean, my friends were certainly welcome to be in that audience, but I needed strangers as well. And, um, I'd always wanted to do a zine and I had never had a subject that was Mm. compelling enough to sustain multiple issues. Um, and then suddenly it was like, well, I know I'll write a guidebook to New York, but that is it. I'll be completely honest that it's being experienced by me and my baby so that we have something to do. You know, like she'll she'll do whatever. She's happy as long as yeah. she's with me and I'm happy as long as I'm adventuring around New York. So the first few issues were really like, hey, if you're coming to the East Village, do this, do that. Here's a thing where you can get a two dollar breakfast. Here's the place yeah. to go for a giant cup of dollar soft serve ice cream. You know, go to Tompkins Square at this hour of the day. And then I started documenting what I saw. You know, I saw a dead cat thrown out on his own litter box. I oh. saw a cup of human shit with a spoon sticking out of it and i was like oh poor man's pudding great <laughs> and i'm so glad i wrote that down because i would have forgotten it by now otherwise um and then it's just evolved from that you know yeah. it was pretty much what's been happening in my life for the last three months is what makes it into an issue was there I, I guess were, were you concerned that it would become a motherhood zine? You know, given that this was something you were not really working no, against, no, because it to, didn't really exist. Um, yeah. I mean, there were other things before baby blogging was a yeah, phenomenon. Yeah, right. There was Hip Mama Zine, which Ariel Gore had started mm. um, as a teenage single mother, and it was her college project yeah, was to make this different than your situation. Yeah, it's a, it was a different situation and a different geographical location and it was not a perzine. It was accepting articles about alternative motherhood yeah. and then China Martins, who's another young single mother in Baltimore was making her own zine, The Future Generation and that kind of had a punk activist slant. And mine, I was a little older and I lived in New York and I was funny and I could draw, and so it was, you know, me kind of shuck and jiving for the yeah. audience and documenting my life. So, I mean, you're, you're reading zines, you're familiar with the culture, was it, how how difficult was it to actually put those ideas, thoughts down into, to a, you know, re- a readable product? Oh, it was super easy, yeah. um, because it felt also like, it felt like a combination of writing in a diary, which yeah. over... I don't do it anymore, but I used to be a pretty faithful journal-keeping person. This kind of is that at this point. Yeah, Yeah. it's like it's cleaned up for, you know, to not violate my other family members' privacy. Just your kids. Yeah, just my, yeah, right, my very reserved (laughs) husband and my tender-age children. Um, And I also, you know, I didn't want it to be complaining i i do read zines that are like you know the first few pages are an, are an apologia for like you know 
how they're feeling depressed mm-hmm. or or they don't want you to think that don't think that if you read this and i was like people yeah. are going to think what you know i yeah. it's they're going to think what they think as well as i entertain them yeah. you know so i lead them so i always wanted it to be self-mocking and a joke on myself but also a demonstration of what I like, what I think is great and fun and exciting. And sometimes it gets highly digressive or is only going to appeal to the smallest sector of the populace. That's that's the beauty of zines, yeah, right? right? I mean, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to write for everyone. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, I had um, this fantasy that it would turn into a book, which eventually it did in a sort of form, but... My first foray in trying to get an agent interested in it was, I think it was maybe Ariel Gore's agent, mm. who was this um, fancy English lady. And I sent her a bunch of zines very optimistically. And she called me back and she didn't know it happened to be my birthday. And she didn't know it. She was like, well, uh, your little pamphlet is rather darling, but I'm afraid it won't fly in today's competitive marketplace. <laughs> Goodbye. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah. she just destroyed my entire creative life in like a few seconds. And that's her job. That's yeah, what agents right, do. Yeah. Right. And of course, it's like, if you tell me no, that's a pretty good way to make sure that I'm going to do it defiantly. So, is I mean, you know, you 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 were here all day at the the Zine Fest, um, you know, and it seems like you you and pretty much everybody else did pretty well. So, uh, is there any consistency across who who is interested in what you do? Um. Well, y- yeah, I think the people who come to Zine Fest are a little different than my meat and potatoes mm. subscribers. Um. There was a period when my children were really little that it, the East Village Inky was a popular baby shower gift um, because it was like it was a point of pride for certain yeah. mothers to give that to about to become mothers yeah. and say, like, look, it's not all diaper genies and, yeah, yeah. you know, cute little baby suits that you have or baby monitors. You can do babyhood without a baby monitor. You don't have to have a diaper genie. You need the zine more than that. So it was sort of an idea of solidarity and that, you know, the isolation of motherhood can be really a bummer. Yeah. And, you know, mommy blogs, I hate that term, started after I had the need to connect with other mothers of little children, my children were already in school and I had a community through that. I also was lucky in that I found my natural community very early on in Tompkins Square Playground and it was a pretty freewheeling, irreverent set of mothers and freaky little kids and everybody living in small spaces and that's why we were outdoors constantly (laughs) because we had to escape the four walls. Um, but there are other people who that isn't their situation, and they have a hard time finding other parents of children the same age that they connect with. So, but you weren't sort of the the weirdo outcast of the group who who was no, doing a zine that was uh, uh, yeah. it was a point of pride. It sounds like it, I I felt like the belle of the ball. It was great, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and I lived the closest. And my apartment was one of the smallest, so I was there constantly. <laughs> I knew everybody. It was great. It was like being the popular girl in high school all of a sudden. The best high school in the world. You, you, you have to make the, the decision pretty, pretty early on, though, of, of how much to disclose about you know, the, the immediate family, at, at least. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, my, uh, my husband is much more private person than I am, but he's also a performer. Mm-hmm. Um. So I could 
make a drawing of him dancing around naked and like you know singing this little Shakespearean song yeah. to amuse the family, and that was okay. But you know, it's it, not like taking a photo or yeah, it wasn't a yeah. photo, and it was like it was. It was a document of him being yeah. a good father, yeah, a funny, yeah, yeah. loose father, yeah. and it wasn't saying anything that would make his brother or mother feel uncomfortable. It wasn't me being presumptuous with that. It was like within my own little family, I can, I can as the mother of that family, yeah. decide what's my experience and mine to share. Of course, I, you know, the children went through a period where they felt or believed that there was nothing sacred i would talk about anything and i don't think they were there was never a point where they were like stop doing it if they would had said to me stop doing it it would have been a hard conversation it would have been a hard conversation yeah Yeah. Yeah. but um obviously i would have had to channel it a different way if they had made that request what they didn't know was all the things that didn't go into the zine. Like there were a lot of things that I didn't talk about and I would never say anything about another person's child. Um, that wasn't cool. I think, you know, I like, I, I, it's actually very carefully curated what I say. You must've had a few that, that, you know, maybe didn't make you look like the greatest parent in the world. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I mean, that was part of the mission too, was that, it's irritating when you have somebody putting themselves forward as the greatest parent in the world. And I think, I mean, I don't read that many mommy blogs, but from what I pick up on the extreme hating of them is that, you know, there probably are women who are just trying to like keep the experience positive for themselves. So, you know, maybe you feel more positive about your life. If you take a picture of your child in a cute little summer dress and she's eating a nice healthy snack rather than, you know, five minutes ago, you could have taken a picture of her wearing a Disney princess nightgown that hasn't been washed in three weeks. But you've got the very, but you've got the very different experience of, you know, you, you, you could put something up there that either you felt didn't reflect well on you or, um, if God forbid it were on the internet, then you know, however many people felt felt that it didn't reflect w- well on you. But you, um, I mean, the nice thing about doing one of the nice things about doing a quarterly zine versus putting something on the internet with comments is you don't have to deal with that feedback. Yeah, and also that it is. I mean, even though I handwrite it, there's white out. You know, <laughs> like sure. I, I will white out a huge yeah. line, and then I have to think, oh, how many words will fit on this white out thing yeah. that I can I can rewrite it. So you know, I, I have time to make it edited, and it's not like I just thought of this and then I hit send, and then it's out there for everyone to read. And certainly, I've had plenty of nasty internet comments, sure. but I've rarely had nasty mail that somebody had mm. to write out and put a stamp on it and find out my address and mail it to me. The worst piece of mail that I ever had, the most critical piece of mail was l- said that I was like Charles Dickens and that I sentimentalized childhood. And I was like, wow, that's really mean. They compared me to Charles Dickens. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> Not because you were cheating, f- feeding your children gruel. Yeah. <laughs> well, that too. But <laughs> yeah. 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 What, what, I mean, this is, this is something that's been uh, fascinating to me of late um, is the way that people gauge their own success and sort of tend to gauge your success relative to other people. Um, w- w- was there, was there a point where you felt like this is okay, you know, this is doing, this is doing really well and this is a good thing for me to keep doing. I mean, this is, this is fulfilling all of the things that I wanted to do. To, well, to I think, yeah, I mean, 
I feel like when you do something that you really love, you have a project that you really love and yeah. you really believe in it, people tend to respond to it. Yeah. And like you create your own look. And I don't know if I would have all these books, um, if I would have a career where I can say I'm an author, like, yeah, here's my seven books that I wrote. Um, I don't know that that would have ever happened for mm. me without the East Village Inky. Uh, it made it, I kept doing it because I loved it, and then suddenly I had enough of a body of work that an agent could look mm. at it and say, like, oh, or oh, I've heard of you, I've heard of that. So that's that's how I like to come at things. And yeah, there are definitely were times when I was like, oh, have I been foolish? Like maybe I should have been writing for Parents Magazine yeah. and it should have been more of a business. But I'm, I'm not a journalist. I, yeah. My background is just in wanting to tell stories and wanting to be an actor and wanting to be a participant. I think that's like if I'm going to be buried with anything, it's going to be this jacket and then like, you know, a thing that I won at field day in second mm-hmm. grade when I was a horrible athlete and hated going to field day, but everybody got a ribbon that said participant. And that's kind of perfect for me. <laughs> that's what I am. I don't get a blue ribbon, but I am a ardent participant. It, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the, the books are the things that you're really proud of, you know, versus, I, I guess, versus the scene as sort of an overall work or, or, you know, the way you refer to it is, is this is the thing that's letting me achieve these other things. Oh, well, it's no, they're just, it's two separate things in Mm. my mind. Um, And I guess the books confer a legitimacy on me that I don't have much financial legitimacy from it. But I do, you know, when you when you say you're a writer, people are always like, Oh, well, do you have a book? Yeah. And to be able to say, well, yes, I have seven. Actually, it you see their face changing of like, Oh, I thought she was a mommy blogger, but I guess she's something more. And by saying that it like suddenly feels like I'm throwing every mommy blogger in the world under the bus. That's not my intention. They all have books now too, though, to Uh, be fair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 There's there's all, it's an evergreen topic. Everybody's going to want to read about people having little children when they themselves have Mm -hmm. little children and are female. (laughs) But the zine is, it, it sometimes feels like a millstone around my neck. and huh. um, In you terms know. of having to put it out quarterly? Yeah. And... Well, the last one took a year to put oh. out. So quarterly, my calendar is yeah. <laughs> stretching to be very un-American. Yeah. Um, but the zine captures more about my actual life and my actual life with my family than any of the books do. And some of the books are fiction, you know, completely invented characters. So I guess it's just working different muscles, but yeah, the the zine feels like oh, it's it's a history of a very specific place and time yeah. and age, and I there is so much that I wouldn't remember and don't remember until I reread the zine, and then that's, it completely comes back. That's in, that's interesting. Yeah, you you, meant, you had mentioned something earlier, and we were, we were talking on the walk over here. We were talking about. I think you were spending part of the show was it just writing down sort of your family's idiosyncratic sayings. Idioms and, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you 
So you do go back and, and, and read? Yeah, I do. Every now and then. Or my husband does, too. Or the kids do. I'll find one I'm just kind of like laying out. And it's like, oh, well, how'd this find its way to the bathroom? Yeah. Here I am sitting here. Perhaps I'd like to read something. And you sprinkle them throughout the apartment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They kind of, they're all in a cabinet that is the wind will blow them yeah. away. If I don't weight them down with rocks and seashells, we wake up and there's like East Village Inkies in every corner. Um, but recently, Greg started saying something that was, okay, the phrase is, you flat it out and chick, chick, chick. And what it means is, like, you're offering instructions on some to someone on how to do something. So it doesn't matter what they're doing. You just come up behind them and say, you flat it out and chick, chick, chick. And it came from me having drawn pictures of Inky, who was, I guess, four, um, sitting at our one table i call it our dining room table but we don't have a dining room it's the, it's the table at which we dine yeah. and um she had a little washcloth and she was smoothing it out on the table so that was you flat it out and then you chick 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 she had a salt shaker and she was shaking salt on it and she was just kind of narrating what she was doing and god knows what she i mean little kids are yeah. weird right yeah. um but I wrote it down. And I, what I thought was just so funny was that she had this very step-by-step instructions, and she was the expert telling people how you did it. And we didn't know what she was doing. But that's like that like one little moment at the yeah. end of a very long and boring day with little children. And if it hadn't been set down in a really descriptive format, which was her facial expressions in the drawing... And her actual words that I was just recording verbatim, I wasn't coming. And then Greg found it. And like, you know, he knew what that meant. You flat it out and you chick, chick, chick. And now it's, we say that all the time. And it's a very important part in our relationship as man and wife that we can say to each other, you flat it out and chick, chick, chick. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the one on the way over here was, uh, was something about uh, corking an alligator. Oh, yeah, that's from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. You, you are, are, you guys, are you guys going out of your way to come up with these <laughs> these idioms? Yeah, I don't know. It's like my father had a lot of col- colorful yeah. expressions. He's from the South. And my stepfather had a lot yeah, of, yeah, cra- yeah. like, coming out like a bite and sow was something yeah. that my father, stepfather always used to say. And I, uh, these things would just stick to me, you know. It's a good, good way to that say That would things. be a good, uh, good scene, actually. Like, it was just a little sort of glossary of the weird things that you guys say. Well, hey, it's... <laughs> Nobody steal that idea because I'm working on it. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what 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 is the process then? I mean, if you if you're not really doing a, a daily diary, is it just at the end of when something comes up? Do you, do you have to run it, rush over a pad of paper and write it oh, down? Oh it, no, it's usually I'm like, oh god, I got to go work on the zine. Yeah, okay. okay, I got two hours. I got to go work on the zine. What's happened in the last four months? Yeah, or yeah. just like what? Well, what's coming up? You know, what do I want to talk about? So I I remember, and this is going way back, but like thinking like, oh well, it's. You know, I got a kid's birthday coming up, and I'm thinking a lot about birthdays and birthday parties, and you know, oh, the the kids who are going to come are going to expect a goodie bag. So, yeah. oh well, what were the birthday parties like of my childhood? And my mother used to have this thing that she made where she would get like a little tiny trinket for me to give to the birthday kid, like a ring, a little two dollar ring or something put it in a jewelry box and then get a roll of crepe paper and wrap that thing like a mummy around this Uh little box and every now and then you insert a piece of hard candy into the crepe paper and keep rolling so that it's this ball and um then you put your curly ribbon around the ball 
and then the kid has to unwrap it and it takes forever i mean it's like kind of an obnoxious present yeah. because you're hijacking yeah. the birthday party yeah. for it to take 10 minutes to unwrap this thing and just spending two dollars on a ring right yeah it's <laughs> a yeah. way of getting away with but it but it became like you know yeah. that was like if i was invited to the birthday party that kid expected yeah. that yeah. thing so it never had a name but i decided in the zine i would call it the ball of mystery and satisfaction and there was chris Chris and Kathleen, and Chris was the most popular girl in school, and Kathleen had never had a birthday party, and their birthdays were close, and somehow it worked out one year that the mothers put them together to have mm-hmm. a birthday. And, like, Kathleen later said, like, that that thing, the ball, the ball with the candy and the ring, like, I that was, like, her crowning moment of elementary school, that she finally had a birthday party with guests. She got to unwrap yeah. this thing. She was the center of attention. And, like, that made it into the zine just because I was thinking about birthdays and I was thinking about my kid's birthday, but it was just everybody's birthday. Every memorable birthday thing that I could put into that pot. That's interesting. Did, did, did your mom kind of express her creativity through motherhood? Was that a big thing for her? My mother was a, and still is a journalist um, yeah. and she was a stay-at-home mother until third grade. For me, I'm an only child, and I was so excited when she told me she was going to go back to work at the paper. She, um, I think she asked me if I would be all right with yeah. that, and you know, <laughs> my internal response was, "Hell yeah!" Whoa! You know, it was. I always wanted to be a city dude. Yeah. You know, I wanted to live in an apartment. I wanted to have a working mother. Like I wanted my mother to be like Rhoda or Mary Tyler Moore. So that was a very exciting moment for me. Um, you know, my mother has different different pleasures and different um yeah you know things that she thinks makes a life well lived than i do but it's just it's it's interesting though you know because we were talking about this a little bit before about um you know not maybe not necessarily wanting to define yourself just as a, a mother and having these these kind of creative impulses but to some degree uh you know if you're a good mom right you're translating those creative impulses to parenting yeah i think so it's you know i mean Look, I think parenthood, it's a really hard gig and it has, uh, it changes. Being a parent of a newborn baby is very different than being the parent of a toddler is different from being a parent of a little kid who goes to elementary school and you got to go to all these little parties where they have paper plate turkeys and little performances and they play pilgrims and then, you know, then they're in high school and then they're in college and you never stop being a parent, but it does, the office evolves and... Um, a big controversy that I probably is still going on is like, well, ferberizing your baby, which is this technique that gets him to sleep through the night. There was Dr. Ferber and he, I think a man, Dr. Ferber wrote this book about you let them cry it out. It sounds know? like something a man would write. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also yeah. presumes that you have a crib in another room. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have yeah, that, yeah. but I was all about like, Oh, animal mother, baby sleeps with us in the bed. And I wanted that. Yeah. And I understand not everybody can have that. And I had the luxury of, you know, this kind of bohemian lifestyle. And Greg was making enough money to pay for our little ratty apartment by working as a location scout on Law & Order. It would have been more expensive if I had been working in a crappy job, too, um, because we would have had to pay someone to take care mm-hmm. of her. So for me waking up every two hours to nurse a baby who slept in my bed was like, yeah, I was tired. I was sleep deprived, but I also tried to stay aware of the fact that that wasn't always going to be the case. Like this was my chance to do that. And it wasn't her 
being a brat or, you know, trying to hijack my adult life. It was her being a human at the stage of development sure. that a three-month-old was. And just to try to say, like, that's that's not a step back in feminism to say, like, I, guess what? I have the power in my body to satisfy the nutritional needs of yeah. this child and comfort needs. And, you know, I look back very fondly on the times that I was tethered to a nursing baby. I'm glad I'm not right now. And I'm sure when I'm grandma age, like I'll look at those newborns yeah. like, oh, I wish I had one more moment with that kid. But now I'm all about teenagers. <laughs> I love teenagers. Is that right? Yes. Does anybody love teenagers? I do. Why? What? Why, how? how? Um, because, What's the love about teenagers? That's probably the best question. Well, because everything that they're going through there's all these firsts that mm. they're going through and even in i mean i know being a teenager now is so different than being a teenager when i was a teenager which at the time felt very different than being a teenager yeah. in the 1950s but there's certain things that are the same like the crushes that you feel about somebody and like if somebody likes you back you know and and the kids who want to do something artistic and when they're doing something artistic, and they're doing something artistic in a group, or like to put on a play, and mm. you you love being in the play, and you how you feel about the other people who are in the play, yeah. it, like their their passion and how nakedly they wear it, and their emotions are just so vulnerable, and 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 it feels like a privilege. Like mm. if you are able to be up close and included in the conversation about somebody being in love for the first time. I just, I love that. I I think it's like a sacred responsibility. And so many people are coming down on it. I would much rather be the nurse in Romeo and Juliet than Juliet's parents. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like you've got the the good side of it. I mean, I tend to just think of teenagers as being kind of shitty, like all the time. Yeah. Well, even when they're being shitty, it's like, you know, I've had some people be shitty to my kids and um, probably my kids have been shitty to some other people when I wasn't there to see it. Or a little bit when I was there to see it. And you understand why they were doing it. And you kind of forgive them. It it, it is probably freeing to forgive people for behaving in a way that if it had been you when you were a teenager, Mm -hmm. like it was like the worst thing. Somebody treated you that way and it like did a number on you and you're still getting over it. And. But then Everything you see, the the yeah, but you, yeah. yeah, but now you can see why they do it and have a little sympathy yeah. for the meanies too. So you're, you're, are you a little more freed up now to work on things? Sort of. Um, this last year has been a hard one because, um, it, not in terms of like anybody dying or having a health problem or splitting up or yeah. anything like that. But, um, it, I, one kid applying to college and difficult mm-hmm. difficult to apply to college and look at them all and you know fill out all the applications and anytime i have to do anything online it's just like well it's digital can't we just mail it in and then uh my younger child who i've homeschooled for three years is gonna go to high school so the new york city public high school yeah. application process and trying to find a good fit and you know but you're just sort of like, you're like the, just the last, you know, the last, you, you can see the finish line in terms of like having a free day. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. And well, and I like with the homeschooling thing, it's like, you know, it's, I'm not sitting beside him doing little lessons, you know, sometimes I am. We both love history. So there yeah. are times when we sit on the couch and like look up websites about World War One and discuss it and go through it in chronological order. And I feel proud that we probably know a lot more about World War One than um, 
most school sure. kids do. Yeah. Uh, and that he listens to, like, that. sometimes that's his guilty pleasure. We're like, what's he doing in there? He's got, he's got the computer in front of him and his headphones on. And it's like, oh, he's listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore <laughs> History podcast. Yeah. Like, what advice to have. God, I wish I was more interested in history. when I, I Like, now I... I Love yeah, I, I was, was the yeah. same. I, I yeah. was, oh, and I had a good history teacher and I just, I just could couldn't, not be bothered. It, yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, you know, it it felt like uh, this general did this yeah. on this date at this battlefield and I was not, uh, I was not interested. Now I am interested because I'm interested in the human stories. Um, so this is my do over. And that is what's great about homeschooling yeah. is oh, he's learning it and I'm learning it too. I'm just, I get to frame the way we learn it, but I'm learning it alongside him. But uh, he has a great group of kids um, who are fellow homeschoolers all over New York City, all the five boroughs represented. And um, they, I did theater with them, and I did weird theater with them, <laughs> and it was great. And I was up close with the teenagers the way I like to be. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun for me to be doing theater and sharing what I learned and stuff that I didn't learn until after I graduated from college. And they're just so thir- and they think I'm a genius, you know, because they don't know. Yeah. But there are <laughs> other people who do this too. They think I'm inventing it for them. How did how did homeschooling happen? Oh, uh, well, it was just a kind of a you know life rolling along and yeah. happening in unexpected ways. But um, it, our Inky had gone to this you know, flavor of the month middle school in the East Village that everybody was excited about. And she never really had a great time there. She's very good at saving face. And uh, around eighth grade, which is the final year of middle school here in New York City, and I guess everywhere, we found out that it hadn't been a good experience. And we found out the depths in which Mm. it hadn't been a good experience. And we reached out to uh, teachers and administrators who'd been very happy to communicate with us when they needed somebody to donate yeah, 40 pairs of scissors or yoga mats or come in and volunteer uh-huh. at the school and then suddenly it was radio silence and I understood they're busy but it's like eh. when you email somebody and say like um, my kid's yeah. crying every night and then wakes up and says please don't make me go to school and this is not her and she's not a drama queen and like could you just do you have any insights into yeah. what's happening or if it's a bad day could you maybe like if you eat lunch at your desk could you maybe invite her to eat with you or try to foment a, a friendship with another child who might be in the same boat. And so I was like, okay, screw that school. They don't get an, their mitts on another kid of mine. And we had blithely assumed that he would follow her there. And they had blithely assured us that he would be accepted. So we had to scramble at the last minute yeah. and he went to a different public school and it was you know, a fine school. I think each school begins to have a mission, whether or not they want it. And this school's, which was a fairly new school, its mission became clear that what it was, its primary thing that it was doing, in addition to teaching kids general education, was to sort of give a leg up to kids from the projects. Hmm. And it's um, such a New York city thing right that yeah, they all have their own, yeah this yeah. might not make sense to anybody outside or, of yeah. new york yeah but um you know so he had a couple friends there he he doesn't like hip-hop you know he doesn't like and that was the dominant culture and paradigm but um but it was more like you know he had a couple of good friends so that's really all you need i think you know and that he would have been okay but um 
he also hated to write. And at first, when he was little, we were like, oh, well, he's in opposition to his parents. He's trying yeah. to ca- carve out his own scene. And his sister loves to write and writes for amusement. That's her vice. You know, she writes all the time. And so he doesn't, he wants to be somebody different. But then we were starting to think, like, well, maybe there's something wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, like, and we found out there was nothing wrong except that he was a very highly verbal person that I had never entertained because he was my second child. He was my baby, you know, and I didn't, I was like, Oh, does he have a big vocabulary? I don't think of that, but that he was a much better talker than a writer. He was a, you know, okay. Writer just meet total middle of the line, but a good talker. So he could, he could happily, or I don't know happily, but he could confidently spend two hours arguing about why he shouldn't have to do uh-huh. the two written paragraphs sure. that had been assigned. That was more comfortable than actually writing those paragraphs. So I also knew that I couldn't expect an entire New York City public school English class mm-hmm. to grind to a halt while they figured out how to cater to my child who didn't want to write. That wasn't fair to the whole community. And I can't stand parents that come in and, you know, demand this a la carte service for their child without thinking of the whole group. Mm -hmm. Who are the people that are in that classroom? And everybody needs to be served. So how can it accommodate everybody? And I knew what I needed was going to be something more specialized. And I had said to him after the situation with his sister and like knowing that our middle school thing was a bit of a scramble for him, you know, do you want to be homeschooled? And he said no. And then the first day of middle school, as we were on our way to middle school, he's like, you know, I, th- I think I've changed my mind. I think I would like to be homeschooled. And I was like, you know, you need to give me a little more notice. Sure. So we started in seventh grade. And um, yeah. And now, you know, I, like my one stipulation was like, you got to find something to write. There has to be an ongoing yeah. writing assignment. You, it can be whatever you want, but it has to be. And so we settled on it being a blog, the graphic novelologist where he reviews graphic novels, which is what he loves to read. And, um, you know, it's been, he has a very cruel, exacting editor who's me. He doesn't get to press publish until this bitch (laughs) editor assigns off on it. But I was thinking, hey, you know, he's got a, this is pretty good service. Maybe I should teach in a private school. You know, he's learning a lot about writing from me. You could run a little blog factory. Yeah, I could. (laughs) I could could be a tutor and like charge top dollar to every, you know elite public private school are here but you know i wouldn't say does he love to write no but can he and has he you know he won a can i do a little parental bragging um that he won a silver national medal in the scholastic art and writing awards for a play that he wrote and it was his own idea and he like worked on it and a teenage boy who was the assistant in his homeschool playwriting class helped him to shape it and i helped him a little and his father helped him and it's about it's a about this kid at the dawn or the ending of the Mongol Empire, and he gets thrown in prison for stealing food. And he has this dialogue with this cockroach, and the cockroach knows everything about Genghis Khan, which Milo knows everything about Genghis Khan because he listens to hardcore history. <laughs> and you know, he he had the satisfaction of writing this thing on his own, and it got submitted yeah. to a contest, and he won, and he won all the way up the ladder. So that's pretty good for a kid who was like, I hate writing, and I can't do it. What what I I'm so fascinated by homeschooling as somebody who's been in public school his <laughs> yeah. entire life. I a mean, lot what, of people are. <laughs> yeah. How how do you where do you start? <laughs> Well, I, I <laughs> you start you're you're like full of ideas and you yeah, read yeah, some yeah. books and like yeah. you're you, 
here in it's different by state to state here in new york city it's pretty um regimented you mm. in terms of you have to file quarterly and tell them what you're doing tell the board of ed what you're doing and mm. give them a curriculum plan you don't i think have to stick to your plan but you you do have to show that you're doing something yeah. and um I was like, oh, this is such a drag because I had heard like, you know, oh, it's the hardest. It's, it, you know, New York is hard for it. It's hard to be a sure. massage therapist sure, also sure. here in New York. But um, a younger friend who is a educator in Oregon, I was complaining about it before we started. And she's like, well, actually, Anne, that's that's good because it makes sure that you're in compliance. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's true. Make that sure actually is track. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you're like that you have some sort of I don't even know that you have a plan, but that you have thought, you have commitment to the idea that you're doing this and that this kid is learning because mm-hmm. of you. Um so you start and you like have all your I- glorious ideals of how wonderful it's going to be and all the things you're going to do and all the museums yeah. you're going to go to yeah. and la 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 and you're going to do nature drawing and you know uh, uh, uh. and then the second day you cry <laughs> and you think you've made a horrible mistake I, I'm very glad to hear that pretty much everybody goes through this because I definitely did this is once the lessons have already begun or once you're just sort of realizing the logistics of it all yes that it's like your fantasy is not yeah. going to ever align with reality yeah. But then um, I think for us, like the first three weeks felt like uh, bad improvisation and like, uh, have I made made a mistake? mistake, Yeah. Yeah. And this kid is looking to me like, okay, figure it out. And, you know, we live across the street from the elementary school that he'd gone to. So every day at school time, when you hear these happy sounding kids, whether or not they're happy, they're laughing, they're calling to each other. They have other kids around. But we were lucky in that um, I signed him up for this improvisation class Mm. at Symphony Space. And um, I had previously signed him up for a class that studied history, which he likes, through musical theater, which his father wrote a musical that got some attention at the New York Historical Society, which I like, museum, participating, participating in museum culture in the city where we live. And he didn't like that class. And he was like, it's too much like public school, which I think he thought like that was using my language yeah. to like turn it back on me of like, I don't want to do this thing. What he really meant was I don't want to do this thing at all. But yeah. he was like, if I tag saying like, it's too much like public school, you, the newly minted homeschooler, sure. who everything about homeschooler is great. You know, you'll let me out of this. But I had paid $200. So he had to do it. He had to go to all the classes. But he was telling me this is a bust. You thought this would be great. It's a bust. So I learned with the improv class, sign him up for it, but don't pay for the whole amount up mm-hmm. front. Like, say, can he take a sample? The teacher said, yeah, he can take a sample. The day of the sample, oh, something happened. The, he did something, and he was busted doing it, and it was a bad day, and a day when I had to kind of come down as the disciplinarian, and there were tears. And, you know, as a performer, what is worse than doing improv when you're crying? <laughs> Watching improv while somebody's crying. And I've done that too, and it's awful. And I was like, now I'm going to do that to my child. But, and he was punished. He knew he was busted. He was punishing himself worse than I ever could. But I had paid for that one class. And I didn't want to be the mother who said, like, well, you know, he doesn't feel like going today. So maybe he could go another day. I didn't want to be that coddling mother. So off he went. He came out all smiles. He loved it. He had met some kids he liked for the first time, finally. And these kids were nice to him because they'd been doing improv together. They were, you know, he was included. And then after that, he went back the next week 
and he came out saying like, oh, there's some other kids in there and they're doing a production of Oliver and they want me to be in it. I was like, do you want to be in that? He had always stood in opposition to writing and to doing theater, <laughs> even though he did theater with us. And that was a really whoa. was rebelling against it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he wanted to. And then it was like, oh, all those kids from Oliver became his core unit of friends. And their parents became my core unit of friends. And then, you know, more kids were brought into the fold. So that because was what made the difference. Th- th- that would be, that would, to me, that would be the, the chief concern over, you know, any, anything else that, that would trump anything educational. It's just the worry that, like, my kid's going to be weird. He's yeah. going to be a weirdo outcast. Right. He, and that is everybody's question. Yeah. I mean, anybody, anybody who has never had a personal experience of homeschooling, yeah. that is their number one question. It was mine before I started. And it's like, what about socialization? Yeah. And I guess that's a valid question because there are some homeschooled kids, even here weird, in New York, yeah, you know, yeah. And like, particularly if they live in an isolated pace, yeah. it is like, well, is this the parent inflicting their view on a child sure. and separating them from the herd and not letting them join any herd? But here it was like, yeah, when I look back at my own education and I went to a very, you know, I wouldn't say fancy, but, you know. The kids who went to this school got into good colleges and, you know, it was considered a very good traditional education. And then I went to Northwestern. And what I remember are mostly social interactions and teachers that I liked. Yeah, Yeah. but also elementary school, too. You know, it's like I was taught a ton about science and math and history, and Mm -hmm. it just went totally through me. But I remember some stories, (laughs) you know, and I... That's how I learned. The liberal arts is about, yeah, that's. I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess. So, yeah, and he wasn't. I mean, homeschooling too. It can accommodate all sorts of kids. Like, is Milo the kind of kid who like takes a computer apart for fun? No, not at all. Never, you know. But he's he's managed to do some really interesting, cool things, and it'll be fun when he's an adult to see what does he remember. What worked? What didn't? What felt improvisational in a bad yeah. way? Yeah. What was a great godsend? You know, we'll find out. So, so you, you're still doing? I mean, you mentioned that you, you're still doing improv over at the, uh, the, yeah. the, the church we were yeah. just at. Yeah. So you're, you've still got a little bit of a, a theater. Oh, huge! Life. Yeah. yeah, it's. I have a huge desire to be back on stage, yeah. and um, working with the kids has ignited that. And I was teaching a group of homeschooled teenage girls how to do improv it it felt like there was a need because i saw the boys who fancy themselves being good at improv and they are pretty quick-witted and funny and brave but they would just like oh trample all over the girls the girls couldn't get an edge in a word in edgewise so we separated out the girls and i you know suddenly we were very free to talk about any subject matter Mm -hmm. we wanted in our girls only improv class and they were hilarious and raunchy and weird and it was great, and I had so much fun, like almost an embarrassing amount of fun. Like I would start talking about like how much I loved it and loved them and like how fulfilling it was, and I could see people looking at me like, hmm, mommy blogger. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to do it with adults, yeah. and yeah, I, I want to act again, so that's going to happen, I hope, next year. Are you thinking? Are you thinking in terms of actually like that being a thing that you really seriously pursue, or is it just sort of a fun thing on the side? Well, I don't know if a woman my age can really yeah. seriously pursue it. Is what would be sure. the equivalent of a newbie? You yeah, know? Yeah. Like uh, people in New York don't know yeah. that I used to do that. So I think I'm going to have to make my own opportunities, yeah. which is something I'm very used to as 
zine publisher and a person who used to do low budget late night theater. It's it's different though, or, or is it? I mean, it's you know, it seems the the um, I don't know the the, the the amount of work that it takes to write something and get it out versus putting on a production or acting or finding it in another group of weirdos. It's a totally different world. Yeah. And it's collaborative, which I miss, you know, yeah. I mean, my husband's theater career, he's become a theater professional. And, but, but I guess, I mean, I, the, the barrier of entry is, is a little bit lower in terms of self publishing. Oh yeah. Being a, right. An actress. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. You have to have somebody else decide that you're worthy of putting on stage or else you make an opportunity yeah. and you suddenly are giving to others what you wish someone would give to you which is and you feel like there's i mean it's new york city if, if you can do that anywhere it's probably here right in terms of putting oh, on a small production uh, no it's the opposite, it's the opposite. It, yeah if, if you can do it anywhere else you should okay. because the rent is going to be so much sure. lower and the sure. audience will have far fewer things to see on okay. any given night but there are people here who want to see weird yeah. Things. Oh, yeah. But, you know, do they want to see weird things with me or do they want yeah. to see, like, you know, sure. 20-year-olds? Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, or, or like, you know, some kids from yeah. Bushwick, like, yeah. you know, having actual sex on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, yeah. That perhaps they would yeah. prefer to see that, you know? Yeah. Um, so we'll just see. We'll okay. see where it how, goes. How, how far down that road are you at this point? Is it just improv right now? N- well, I was pretty far down the road. Um uh, the friend with whom I directed some of the homeschool kids in one of my husband's lesser produced musicals, Yeast Nation, the world's first biohistorical musical. It, it's and very there's exper- theme, yeah. And there's a theme with these names <laughs> that he's picking. Yeah, right? yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Geographical. Yeah, but like, the, so this other, this other, uh, this guy who is also, you know, I'm a massage therapist. He's a Watsu practitioner, like water massage. And, um, but are you a massage therapist? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of things. You've done a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Factotum. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But so I was like, we have a good working relationship and we like each other and we know how to fight. We have plenty of fights about East Nation. We know how to collaborate. We kind of share the same sense of humor and, we're both really interested in physical stuff and as body workers, like we can do that. We can bring physical performance. Mm. Um, so I saw this play that another friend from Chicago had written, like, you know, somebody from way back in the day. And it was a three person play with a great part for a woman, my age. And, um, I, I actually didn't even see it. I just read it and like read so much about it on Facebook and in reviews that I felt like I'd seen it and I knew all the actors who'd been in the first one. So uh, it's written in verse. It's about a uh, pair of university professors and they're so overcome by the poetry of William Blake, which they both teach, that they strip off their clothes and have sex on the green of the university and are witnessed by all these students and the uh, president of the university who forces them to apologize. So the play takes the form of two lectures, his and hers, where they're allegedly going to apologize to the students and do they or don't they? And what is but this? But the aforementioned Bushwick kids having sex is necessarily <laughs> happening. Right. Hey, yeah. us too. <laughs> um, but so anyway, so the long and the short of it is like we were all set to do this and I was very well memorized on this play that's entirely written in verse, by the way. Very good for my aging brain to try to memorize this. And um, they the original cast got invited to perform in a festival here in New York the same month, even the same week that 
my yeah. friend and I got invited to do another yeah, yeah, yeah. festival. So it just felt like at this age, I would rather preserve friendships and bow out. And even though the playwright was saying, oh, it's great, you know, if three, three performances three productions of the same play that's just going to be great great for everybody and i was <laughs> i think he's the only person who feels that way so we bowed out of it and uh we'll figure out something else to do this, this might be kind of a hard question though and and you know you you you, you mentioned your age a few times abstractly with regards to you know what what sort of opportunities you, you can and can't have i mean are there are there regrets as far as um you know that you weren't able to do everything you wanted to do creatively you know when you might have been in your prime in some form oh, or other. yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling, like, get back to me on that. Like, you know, knock on my coffin lid, <laughs> like, when my I body's will, still I warm. I will see, yeah, I will meet you there. I will meet you, you at your okay. funeral. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> do you. this. And, um, and then let's see what I regret. Yeah. Because, I, you know, my life has been very rich in terms of family and um, in terms of being... You know, it's like nasty internet commenters aside, there's also good internet commenters yeah. and Facebook friends that I don't know and things who are like, oh, that's so cool that you do the mermaid parade in Coney Island every year. That's so weird. I wish where I lived we could do something like that. Good for you, you know? And I think, yeah, good for me. You know, it's, it's my, my life has lots of moments like that and also lots of mundane, boring, pesky, irritating, mm-hmm. disappointing moments the way everybody's life has. Um, so, yeah, it's like, you know, having gone to Northwestern, I see people who got really famous. Yeah. My boyfriend from college is a juggernaut of fame and couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, but also like, wow, didn't happen to me. And um, he pursued it and I didn't. And... It's, yeah, you you do wonder, like, what if? But also, I don't know, harder for girls? Like, who knows? You know, I I did what I wanted, and certain doors closed to me, and I didn't know that was happening. And others, I couldn't be bothered to knock on them. I wouldn't be dressed the proper way that would, Mm -hmm. if somebody had opened the door, they would have slammed it back in my face because they said, you're not ready to play in our casino. I can see the way you're dressed. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, realizing of late just... The, the the horrible game of comparing yourself to other people fame wise. Ooh, it's poison. Um, especially when you're lu- <clears throat> excuse me, when you're lucky enough to be in a position where you, you're surrounded by yourself with smart and creative people, so of course they're going to have success. Yeah, right. But it's yeah. hard. It's hard not to. It's hard not to see somebody doing what you do and having more success with it. Sure, and it's you know there's luck, and I think like our family has really benefited from the luck the greg who's a very talented writer wrote you're in town and it we're lucky that our theater company in new york and just about or no i sorry our theater company in chicago our old theater company in chicago didn't want to do it he sent it to him sure they would want to do it they didn't want to do it they wouldn't put it on their season all these other theaters rejected it outright yeah. i mean would you want to do a play with that i remember title? i think i think it was playing when i moved to new york or at least there about and i just remember seeing the taxi cab ads and yeah. being very put off by it yeah yeah and it's like what kind of obnoxious like but there are so many other talented playwrights and ambitious young people or people just out of college who are like you know oh that those people that guy yeah. who were you're in town you know oh, he hit the top of the game so for us does it feel like Easy street? No, yeah, yeah, not yeah. at all. It feels like constant struggle and toil. But 
there's other people who would be plenty happy to be where we are. There are plenty of people who would be happy to have their zine yeah. mentioned in an article about zines because I've been doing it a long time. So, you know, there's everything in life. Something yeah. you get, something you give up. And, you know, I don't know. I thought, who's content all the time? I don't well, know. Well, yeah, and that's the thing about putting out seven books is, you know, it, that's, you know, the minute you go out and, and, and do your book tour and talk to people, that the question you always get asked is, what what's the next book? What are you working on? Oh, yeah, on? right. So it's never like you don't, you never really get that moment yeah. to really soak the next in book, the, how about it's nothing? I'm yeah. homeschooling my child yeah. and my career is in yeah, shreds. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, oh, now he's going yeah. to high school in that book that's been moldering in my laptop. It's okay. The last time I was on a tour, or maybe the second to last time, Chuck Klosterman was out the same week mm-hmm. and Bill Clinton was also okay. out. Okay. So Bill Clinton would go in and there would be lines out the door and then Chuck Klosterman yeah. would go out and the place would be packed and then it was me. <laughs> But Chuck Klosterman lives in the neighborhood now. And I was standing in the butcher shop beside this bearded man, and he had a little pin on his peacoat with Led Zeppelin. And I was like, is that Led Zeppelin? And he said yes. And I was like, are you Chuck Klosterman? And he was like, yes, I am. So I was like, "That's you know, he's just a normal guy. He's a delightful, yeah, I worked with him. It's been for a little while. He's a delightful person. And he's got a little kid now, so he's in the same stupid trenches that I was in for a long time. You should take him under your wing. You think? (laughs) I'll just say hi in the butcher store. I saw him on a date with his wife a month ago and decided not to say hi. Like, let's let them have their little bubble away from their child. There you go. That was Anne Halliday. What a what a fun conversation. And I, I don't know if this came across from from the, the the joy or maybe the the relief in my voice that we were finally able to do that. That conversation was about three or four years in the making, which um, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that qualifies it as the the longest it's taken me to to track down somebody to get them on the show. Um, particularly somebody that actually that lives in the same city as me. That's a crazy part about it all. Um, so, um, you know, I've known I've known about her, her zine for uh, a number of years. I've, I've seen it and, and picked it up all over town. Um, I think initially recommended to me by uh, my friend Alex, who used to run the comic book shop Rocket Ship in in, in Brooklyn. Um, But like two or three years ago, I I ran into her at this uh, this small zine fest they have at uh, Pete's Candy Shop in Brooklyn and tried to get her to do the show for whatever reason. I I think I just didn't maybe have... It almost certainly was on me. I think I didn't have my recording equipment on me that day. And then... um, just like over the course of a couple of years it never things never really worked out and then i noticed a uh, brooklyn uh, brooklyn zine fest the big brooklyn zine fest was happening um, a couple months ago and i, I tracked her down and we sat down and we're finally able to do it and i'm glad we did because that was a super fascinating conversation uh highly recommend the east village inky it's it's super easy to get if you're here in new york city it's pretty easy to get if you have a an internet connection and a mailing address um so certainly check that out she's written a number of books as well um and you know and if you see her at a zine show say hi she's uh, uh, she's she's very 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 fascinating, very interesting to talk to. So thanks so much to Anne for 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 finally getting in the same place as me at the same time. I'm, I'm glad that we uh, were able to to have that conversation. Uh, thanks uh, thanks to Brian as always for adding this thing together. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you like the show, give us some feedback on iTunes. Rate us over there. Uh, you can send us an email. It's rualcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Tumblr. That's rualcast.tumblr.com. Um, 
what else can you have? We have a Facebook thing now, which I'm trying to get better at. I started a new job about uh, three and a half weeks ago and have just been so terrible at, at updating the Facebook page, but I'm trying to get better. Um, but the Tumblr page, absolutely. Uh, check that out. Um, uh, what else? What else can you do? Um, I don't know. That's I think that's 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 about that's about it. Those are the ways. Uh, there's other other boing boing podcasts you can check out over over on iTunes. Uh, lots of good shows over there. Uh, but uh, I'd stick around. That's a thing. You can subscribe to our show and you can listen to us just about this time next week with another episode of R I Y L. 